But if you are new to Substance or a guest today, then you're in good company, because like Scott said, I am too, and so we can hang out afterward. Uh, but um, I'm just really honored and excited to be with you all this morning. Um, like Scott just said, uh, we stepped out of our church, felt the Lord calling us out back in November, and not really knowing exactly what he had in store for us, but um, we got connected with the Sojourn Network. We've had friends in the network for many, many years. And so the Lord just kept leading one step after another. Sojourn connected us with Ronnie and Melissa. And so we're just about an hour away. And so since January, we've been connecting with Ronnie and Melissa, then Scott and Kat and Chris, and, and it just keeps building out. And it has just been a tremendous blessing for us. And then I think starting in March, Ronnie said, hey, Chris, Scott, and I get together every Tuesday, basically spend the whole day in prayer, in the word together, uh, sharpening each other theologically, sharing what's on our hearts. Would you want to be a part of that? And so I can't tell you how much that ministered to me, one, to be invited, but also to actually be doing that over these last several months every Tuesday. It's been a tremendous time of healing and growth for my own heart. Um, and then we've come to worship with you uh, over the months when we were able to make it. We've been at the Worcester campus several times. So whether you knew it or not, your church has been a tremendous blessing and encouragement and a place for us to heal uh, over these last months. So thank you for that. I've gotten to know some of you a little bit better than others. But um, all of that to say, it is a tremendous blessing and honor for me to open God's word with you today. Um, if you've been here over the last couple months, you know that you guys have been going through a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And, and substance normal practice is to teach through or preach through a book of the Bible at a time. But they've chosen to look at the fruit of the Spirit over these two months in a more in-depth, intensive way. So we're going to be bouncing around the scripture a little bit today. So you're going to have to track with me uh, as we talk about self-control. And I, I think it's really interesting that Ronnie happens to be out of town this week. Uh, he's in Missouri, supposedly. And when I saw that the topic is self-control, it started to make a little bit more sense. One thing that I love about you guys at Substance Church is you like to eat. So much so that it is in, it built into your Sunday morning worship time, which I, which I just think is absolutely awesome. But in the time that I've been able to spend with Ronnie and the guys, Food is a regular part of it. It's scriptural, so I'm good with that. Uh, but Ronnie can put away some candy. And if you hang out with Jeff Powell at all, you know that Jeff Powell likes ice cream. And so when we're talking about self-control, like my uh, concept of self-control is eating one row of Oreos in the package instead of the whole thing. Sadly, that's not a joke. Um, and so we're going to be talking about self-control today. And, and so you know Galatians 5 lists all the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness last week. And this week, self-control. I, I just heard the groans. All of us struggle in some way or another with all of these things. So if you've been coming over the last few, few months, uh, probably each Sunday morning your reaction is the same. Like today we're talking about patience. It's like, ugh. Today we're going to talk about gentleness. Ugh. And today's the big red button of self-control. And so if you're feeling that already, let me just tell you you're not alone. I am right there with you that as we look at these things and we look at the fruit that the Lord is, is producing in our lives by his spirit, these are all things that we all need to grow in. Amen? 
And so it is not easy, and the Lord has his way of working at these things in our heart. And so today, as we jump into this, that's what we want, is we want to be transformed by, the, by his word and the power of his spirit, working from the inside out. Amen? It's not about trying harder. It's about allowing and surrendering to the spirit of God to do his work in our heart. And that's the thing. We, we can't manufacture it. It's like making plastic fruit if we try to do that. Like you may say, oh, man, I really need to work on patience. And for this next week, I'm going to work on patience or joy. But then how many of you know that's pretty short-lived? Because then life happens and you're like, blah, and you lose it. I have a, I have a friend who not too long ago, we met up for coffee and he's like, you would not believe the day I've had. I was like, what's going on? He's like, well, I went to mow my lawn before coffee. And he goes, as I'm mowing my lawn, the wheel falls off the lawnmower. And as I go to put the wheel back on the lawnmower, I burnt myself on the engine. And then a little while later, while I'm mowing the lawn, I get stung by three bees. <laughs> How many of you know, if you're trying to work on patience or joy in moments like that, it has to be the spirit of God inside of you, right? We're all there. We can all relate. And so that's what we're going to do today. Would you bow with me as we pray one more time as we get ready to dive into God's word? Proverbs 25, 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Father, we see examples of this all around us, and sadly, Lord, we see it in the church, and if we're really honest, Lord, we see it in our own hearts. We see the results and the effects of our own desires just going awry. Lord, we see that the lack of our self-control brings devastation not only to us, but to those around us. And so, Lord, um, our prayer, even now, before we really dive in, is Jesus, would you continue your work inside each of our hearts as we open your word, Lord, open our understanding. Lord, conform our desires more and more to the things that you would have for us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So a tool you guys have been using as you've gone through this series is a book by Jerry Bridges. And so Jerry gives this, exa this example of a, a simple definition of self-control. This is his definition. It says, the governing of one's desires. Very simple definition. Self-control is the governing of one's desires. And so when we talk about self-control, when we think about it, I think we often think of it in terms of something we don't do. It's self-control is I'm avoiding, I'm, I'm trying not to do this thing, or I'm trying not to think those thoughts or to believe those things. And I'm trying not to go to those websites or I'm trying not to gossip or not to drink or eat too much. And so we think of it all in the prohibitive. But it's not just what we don't do. Self-control is also what we do do. And yes, I just said doo-doo. There are some kids in here. But do you know what I'm saying? Self-control is also governing my desire so that I am about what I should be about, that I'm doing the things that God would have for me to do. It's not just avoiding negative things. And so am I governing my desires to do even the right things? Am I in the Word and in prayer instead of Netflix every night? Am I investing time into my family or only into my own hobbies? Am I taking adequate rest to be with the Lord or am I just driven at work constantly? Self-control is the governing of our 
desires. And how many of you would agree that desire is a powerful thing? Powerful thing. Sometimes our desire just feels like overwhelming, like I can't resist. Advertising knows that. It is all geared to appeal to our desires that are already inside of there. As if external pressure wasn't enough, we all have these internal desires that are poked at and exploited by the world around us. So you can't even go into a grocery store or a retail store without it being intentionally arranged and organized and products placed to appeal to your impulse to buy. You with me? Those internal desires drive us. Culture tells us, hey, just live your truth. Do whatever makes you happy. And if we're honest, there's a large part of our hearts and our flesh that say, that kind of feels good. That kind of sounds nice. But Ecclesiastes 11.9 says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Like you, you all have desires and you can follow those things, but at some point, you're going to have to pay the piper. That it's going to lead you down a certain path that will have consequences. And, and sometimes, let's just be honest, we can uh, do the right things, but sometimes for the wrong reasons. Right? I'm self-controlled and I'm doing what I should do, but really my motive for doing the right thing is wrong. And you let out a collective, ugh, <laughs> For example, diet and exercise. Obviously not one of my favorite things. However, diet and exercise is really good. It's even scriptural. The Bible tells us that our bodies, our physical bodies, are temples of the Holy Spirit. We should care for them and, and, and take care of our bodies as unto the Lord. And so that's good. It's wise. It's good for our physical, mental, spiritual, emotional health. All of those things, diet and exercise. Very important. But how many of you uh, can recognize that that can easily become an idol for us? Where it takes an inordinate place in our hearts and we start uh, trying to be self-disciplined. And in, I mean, that's one of the biggest parts of our culture that it's okay to be self-disciplined is, is diet and exercise. It's just become this God to so many of us. And I'm not talking about for health reasons and all of that, but I think you know what I'm saying. When our motivation for getting healthy is more about appearance and, and our emotional security and our acceptance and our image. And man, I want to look good in my swimsuit for Instagram. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is not living a life that is self-controlled and under the control of the Holy Spirit. Our desires are powerful and they come at a cost. James 1, James says this, but each person... So put your name in there. Matt is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's from in here. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's saying that the fleshly desires that we all have, those desires for things, those desires to be right and to be justified and vindicated, Desires for gratification. If we follow those things, when we water in those things, they germinate and they produce unhealthy fruit in our lives that leads to death. I think each of us could say, yep, I have absolutely seen that in my own heart. Because those desires that we have in our flesh are selfishly driven. It's all about making me feel better. 
making me look better, making me feel comfortable. And our desires will turn us inward, which we know is not a good thing. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us that these passions and desires of ours, uh, they wage war against our souls. The desires of our flesh wage war against our souls. It's no joke. And so Paul, who is writing to the Galatians, he's writing about the fruit of the Spirit and all of that, uh, he absolutely understood this struggle that we all face. And so as he writes to the Roman church in Romans 7, some of you know this, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right because of the Spirit of God, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In other words, Paul is saying, ah, it's so frustrating. I keep doing what I don't want to do, and I can't do what I do want to do. Because of the desires of my flesh just keep pulling at me. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, God, I know this is what I should be doing, but I just can't seem to do it. I know that this is what I shouldn't be doing, but that's what I keep on doing. God, I need your help. I feel helpless. So how does Paul deal with it? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9, if you will. We're going to camp out here for a couple minutes. And so this is another church that Paul is addressing. He's just kind of tying all this stuff together as he writes to these different churches, these different groups of Christians that are facing so many of the same issues. And as you're turning there, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, little context here. The the Corinthian church was uh, messed up, to say it nicely. Um, They had huge self-control issues. Scripture tells us that one guy's sleeping with his stepmom. They're suing each other in court as Christians. Uh, They were having Sunday brunch like we're about to in a little bit, but they're not waiting for each other. The rich people bring a bunch of really good food, and they're not sharing it with people that don't have any food. Self-control was a major issue for these believers. I mean, these are the type of people that would eat the whole package of Oreos. Like, unbelievable. No self-control. And so look at Paul, uh, chapter 9. Let's start at uh, verse 22. He says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. So he's using some self-control though. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises, what's it say? Self-control in all things. So their diet, their exercise, the amount of sleep they're getting, they exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. That was the trophy back then in the ancient Greek games. But we, an imperishable. He says what we are exercising self-control for is for eternal things. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So where he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, the Greek literally translates, I pummel my body and make it a slave. 
Like Paul's being very aggressive with this thing. Like self-control is important. Why? So that I'm healthy and people like me? No, so that Jesus is glorified, so that the gospel is preached. Like I will put my preferences and everything aside. I will pummel my body and make it my slave for the glory of God. And so look what he continues this in chapter 10. And he is um, reminding them of their forefathers and, and how God miraculously delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. He, he brought them through the Red Sea. You'll know the story. And he sustained them in the wilderness. And so look at what he does. First, chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. What he's saying is like all of those Israelites, all of those people that God saved, like he just poured blessing after blessing after blessing on all of them, on the whole community. God was faithful to them and good to them. But look at verse five. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Why? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, and it's true for us today, that we might not, what's it say? Desire evil as they did. They were experiencing the grace and blessing of the Lord, the Lord delivering them, saving them from their enemies, and yet they still had this desire in them for evil. Verse seven, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They just... Uh, got into all kinds of crazy stuff. You can read that in the Old Testament. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, he says, now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. And so what Paul's saying is, man, let this be a warning to you. These were God's people. They had seen the power of God at work in their lives, protecting them, guiding them, providing for them, leading them. And yet they still struggled with these desires and they gave in to them all kinds of junk and it brought destruction on them and on the community. And he says, take heed lest you, you think you stand. Like, how many of you know that sometimes we get into stuff and lack self-control and we think that we're okay because God's still blessing us? Anybody been there? You don't have to raise your hand. We're like, I guess God's cool because I'm not getting hit with a lightning bolt right now. He says, take heed when you think that you're cool lest you fall. Verse 13 no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not so unique. All of us face these temptations and desires. But look at the promise. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I love that promise that no matter how strong the temptation or the desire is, somehow the Lord in his love for us and the power of the Holy Spirit provides a way out. There's no room to say, well, the devil made me do it or I had no choice, I had no option. 
Scripture tells us right there that the Lord is with us. He always provides a way of escape. It's just really hard to see it sometimes. And so he says to flee from those things. Don't give in to those things, those desires that lead you from God. How many of you know that whatever you feed and water will grow? And whatever you starve will die. And I think too often in my own life, I spend my time feeding and cultivating these desires that aren't godly desires. And I neglect the desires that are for the good, and I just kind of let them die. What are you feeding? And if you find yourself over and over again in these situations where the desire is just like this huge thing that you cannot slay, if you take a moment and say, Lord, have I been feeding that thing? Have I been watering that desire and just pouring fuel on the fire? Lord, are there ways that you would have me starve that thing more and turn from it and begin really watering desires for you and for your word and all of those things? Finally, I want to talk about another example that Scripture gives us. Paul told us twice there that these things in the Old Testament that happened, like God intended for those stories to be written down for our instruction, for our warning. So there's this other guy in the Old Testament uh, named Samson. Who's heard of Samson? Okay, what do you remember about Samson from Sunday school if you went to Sunday school? Just yell it out. What are some things that come to mind? Strong, what else? Hair, what else? Muscular. And does any other person's name come to mind? Delilah. And that's pretty much the extent of the Sunday school lesson. Right? He knocked down a temple and killed a bunch of Philistines. And you know... Praise God for Sunday school, but so many times the, the, the version of the story that we get in Sunday school doesn't really serve us in our understanding of the gospel and who these people really were. We come away from Sunday school so often thinking like, dude, Samson was the man. He's like the superhero of the Bible. Well, yeah, there's Jesus, but there's also Samson. Like, I totally bet he wore spandex and had a big S on his chest. But if, if you really read... The story of Samson, he is a train wreck. There is nothing about Samson that you and I should ever want to be like. Honestly. And so his story is written down to instruct us. And so I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to be a quick recap of the story and see if you remember some of this stuff from Sunday school. So Samson um, was a miracle baby. His mom couldn't have children. And so one day an angel appears to her and says, you're going to have a son and God's going to use him to deliver his people um, throughout his life. Uh, but he's got a couple ground rules with that. Um, he can't drink grape juice or wine. He can't cut his hair. And he can't touch a dead thing, like a dead animal or a dead person or anything like that. He used to be a Nazarite. It's like this, this separate thing of, of a life devoted to the Lord. So mom's like, cool, that's cool. Samson grows up, uh, as far as we know, following those rules and those guidelines. And then as he gets a little older, he starts hanging out in, in the wrong part of town. The bitter enemies of God's people at that time were the Philistines. And so Sammy starts hanging out in the Philistine side of town. And he catches uh, the eye of this girl one day, this Philistine girl. And so he really likes her. So he goes home and says, hey, I'm liking this girl. Like, let's work it out. Let's set up a wedding. And his parents implore him and plead with him like, Samson, please don't do this. This is against God's command. This is a sin against the Lord. It's grievous. Don't do 
this thing. And you know what scripture says Samson said? He looks at his father and says, get her for me. That's a man of high godly character, don't you think? It's the first words we hear from Samson basically is, get her for me. So dad arranges the wedding. They're at the rehearsal dinner basically. And um, his wife kind of sells him out and, and tells the secret to this riddle. And so Samson's ticked. He leaves the rehearsal dinner. He goes and kills 30 Philistines. And he's just fuming. And so scripture says after a time or after a season, so we don't know how long that is, but it's probably a while, when he finally cools out, he comes back to uh, his bride's father's house, knocks on the door. Dad-in-law supposedly opens the door and says, what's going on? Samson's like, I'm here to get married. He's like, oh, dude, I let her marry your best man. I thought you didn't want her anymore. How do you think Samson felt? He goes into another rage. And this is just crazy business. He goes, and the scripture says he catches 300 foxes. I have no idea how you do that. Number two, he ties them in pairs by the tail. Again, I don't know how you do that. And then he ties torches to the tails of these foxes and releases them into the Philistines' grain fields, which is just super creative. And he just burns their fields to the ground because he's angry. He's mad, not for the glory and honor of the Lord. He's mad because he's throwing a fit. And so the Philistines get mad. And the Philistines burn down uh, who he wanted to marry. They burn down her house and kill her inside. And so Samson gets super ticked again. And so he keeps going on these rampages. And... Um, so much so that the Philistines start oppressing the Israelite people even more. They're attacking them and just really beating them up because of what Samson's doing to them. And so Samson's own people come to him one day and say, Samson, you got to stop this, man. Like, the Philistines are killing us. They're like, please let us turn you into them. So Samson's like, all right, cool. Tie me up. So they tie him up. They hand him over to the Philistines. And after, like, the Israelites have departed and the Philistines are leading Samson to put him in prison... He, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. He breaks the ropes. He picks up the jawbone of a donkey. It says a fresh donkey. So he's touching a dead animal, which he's not supposed to do. And yet the Lord still uses him and fills him with his spirit. And he kills a thousand Philistines with that jawbone. And you know what he says after the battle? It wasn't much of a battle. He just wiped them out. But he says, what? You give me this great victory and now you just leave me out here to die of thirst? That's how he talks to the Lord. Just this big baby with zero character who's only in this thing for himself. And so then he went from wanting to marry the wrong person to now the next story we get of him is having a one night stand in a city of the Philistines. And so he doesn't stay there the whole night. He's trying to leave the city, but the Philistines knew he was there. They locked the gates of the city and were hoping to capture him or kill him. But scripture tells us he goes up to the gates of the city and literally rips the gates off the city. It says hinges and all. He walks the gates out of town and up a hill and then sticks them in the ground. Just using his strength, his gift from the Lord for his own desires. Are you with me? And then where we see Samson next in the story is he meets Delilah. 
And so he goes from wanting to marry the wrong person, then he follows his desire, has a one-night stand, then he goes further into his desire that's just producing more sin and more death, and he starts living with Delilah over an extended period of time, another Philistine woman. She ends up selling him out. She gets the secret to his strength. He, he betrays his vow to the Lord. Uh, the Philistines come in. They cut his hair. You know that story from Sunday school. And then they gouge out his eyes, and they bind him to a grist mill. He's, he's grinding grain, pushing a huge stone around for the Philistines like an animal. So in that place, do you think Samson may come to his senses and repent and say, God, I've been a fool. I've been using all of the power and strength and blessing you've been giving me for myself. Uh, I've been following all of these desires that are destroying me and the people around me. God, please forgive me. No. It says the Philistines threw a big party one day for their god, Dagon. And so they take Samson into their pagan temple. And Samson's prayer is this. He says, God, give me strength one more time that I may, I may avenge the Philistines for my two eyes. So God gives him strength, and he pushes down the temple. He kills more Philistines that day than he had in his whole lifetime. And so on the one side, God always accomplishes his purposes even through our mess, amen? He is not dependent on us getting it right. On the other side, Samson's life is a horrendous tragedy of a man that pursued only his desires, that only led him further down and only brought more and more destruction to those around him and also caused his literal death because he lacked self-control. He did not surrender those desires to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I recount the story of Samson, I can't deny that I see some of that tendency in my own heart. That my own desires will lead me down that path apart from the grace of God restraining me. Left to myself, I'm a lot like Samson. Galatians 5.24, right after the Apostle Paul has listed the fruit of the Spirit that we started with, the very next verse Paul says is this. He says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If I want to live by the Spirit, that means I put to death those things in me that desire what is not right. Jesus puts it this way, Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-control is not trying harder. Self-control comes from a heart that is surrendered and submitted to Jesus Christ. It says, my life is not my own. I belong to him now. Jesus, work in me more and more of your desires. Philippians 2 promises that. It says that he, it is he who works in you both to will and to do. He both gives you the desire for what he wants you to do and what he's called you to. Isn't that an awesome promise? That it's not because, oh, Matt's working really hard at this. It's, no, the Spirit of God is at work in me, both to will and to, to do. The Spirit of God who's alive, living and active, the same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, lives also in you to produce the fruit that he's looking for in each of us. He promises to do it. Finally, Jesus says, in, or about Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter four. He says, for we do not have 
a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Brothers and sisters, that should give us great comfort. It, the temptations that you face on a daily basis, whether they're temptations of the heart or the eyes or the mind, Jesus faced those same things. He knows what it's like to be tempted in those ways, and yet he didn't sin. He lived a perfect life of self-control, not only not doing the things that were negative, but also always doing the things that the Lord would call him to. And we know that he surrendered his desires even to the point of the cross. That as he conformed his will and obeyed the will of his Father, that it was a pouring out and emptying of himself. It wasn't a self-focused, greedy desire like you and I wrestle with. His self-control led him to the cross so that you and I could benefit from his perfect life. And the rest of that verse says, so let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so this morning, if the Lord is bringing something to your mind or heart where there's an area in your life that you need the Spirit of God to rise up and to give you the self-control that you know you need in those situations, he just promised that he is doing that in you. And to come to him with full assurance that he will meet you there and walk you through it. So would you bow with me as we turn to the Lord? If there's that desire for some situation or some feeling or emotion or, or whatever it may be, uh, I want to read a prayer today that I did not write, but I found this week that really ministered to me. And I pray that it would be our collective prayer before the Lord. So whatever that thing is the Lord's brought to mind, just hold it before him now as we pray. Jesus, here I am again, desiring a thing that were I to indulge in it, it would war against my own heart and the hearts of those I love. O Christ, rather, let my life be thine. Take my desires let them be subsumed in still greater desire for you until there remains no room for these lesser cravings. In this moment, I might choose to indulge a fleeting hunger or I might choose to love you more. Faced with this temptation, I would rather choose you, Jesus. But I'm weak. So be my strength. I am shadowed. Be my light. I am selfish. Unmake me now and refashion my desires according to the better designs of your love. Given the choice of shame or of glory, let me choose glory. Given the choice of this moment or eternity, let me choose in this moment what is eternal. Given the choice of this easy pleasure, or the harder road of the cross, give me grace to choose to follow you, knowing that there is nowhere apart from your presence where I might find the peace I long for, no lasting satisfaction apart from your reclamation of my heart. 
Let me build then, my king, a beautiful thing by long obedience, by the steady progression of small choices that laid end to end will become like the stones of a pleasing path, stretching to eternity and unto your welcoming arms and unto the sound of your voice pronouncing the judgment. Well done. Father, may this be the cry of our hearts, not just this morning, but every day. Thank you, Lord, that you have purchased for us perfect righteousness, perfect self-control, that we are in you, we belong to you, and you are working these things out of us and working your image into us. Lord, for anyone here this morning who has never uh, submitted to you in the first place, who has never come to you and said, God, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died for me, that you took my punishment, Lord. Put in me a new heart. God, I pray that you would get a hold of them today, that you would draw them to yourself. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your grace to us. We thank you that you're a loving Father who is so patient with us. We give you our desires, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.